0: Hi everyone, I'm your host, Lisa Fazio, and this is Wild Under Root, a podcast about plants, place, and magic.
1: Even if lightning strikes, or if thunder splits the
0: sky, if the mountains fall and rivers
1: overflow, you can never stop a
0: seat from. All right. And today on the Wild Underroot podcast, I am welcoming Janelle Bouvet, who is a Wolf Clan Mohawk. She is the proud mother of three children and chosen auntie, sister, and friend to many. She works diligently to empower and induce healing within all Native Indigenous communities in order to prosper in the Haudenosaunee teachings of good medicine and good minds. And for my listeners who aren't aware, Haudenosaunee is the name of those that have been colonial called the Iroquois Confederacy. Today, we'll be talking about her activist endeavors, including her latest tiny house project, which is very exciting, that supports individuals coming home from prison rehabilitation. She successfully fundraised for the construction of the first tiny home and it has been delivered. And we are accepting donations uh, for this podcast. The link is on the webpage and in the show notes. And please share if you can. Um, Also, Janelle recently spent five years cultivating support and experience around violence with the Seven Dancers Coalition as community outreach located in upstate New York on the US-Canada political border of her home territory in Akwesasne which for those of you who've been following me, you know that I live and the Root Circle is coming to you from Haudenosaunee Haudenosaunee Territory in the Adirondack foothills, also known as New York State. The coalition, this coalition seeks to educate tribal communities and service providers through trainings and presentations on sexual assault, domestic violence, campus safety, teen dating, sex trafficking, and stalking. Janelle was a recipient of 2020 Visionary Voice Award nominated by the New York State Coalition Against Sexual Assault granted by the National Sexual Assault Resource Center. In 2019, she was picked one of 10 women nationally to represent a fellowship for formerly incarcerated incarcerated, or directly impacted women of color through the community change organization with peer-to-peer mentorship, community organizing skill building, and cultivating change in the hearts of women directly impacted by the social violence, prison systems, and immigration. In 2020, she was accepted to be on a national cohort of women through Columbia University's Women Transcending Fellowship. She also organized to support formerly incarcerated women, build power, gain resources, and strengthen leadership development. And in addition was extended an invitation to sit on the national hashtag free Her board with the circle for justice innovations, which gave out grant opportunities for women of color who are in their communities working to address mass incarceration. And that's not all of it. We're gonna go over some of it um, here
1: today. So welcome Janelle. Wow. Welcome. sounds like quite a reputation to live up to. I know.
0: <laughs> and I know that's not it. That's there's so much more. <laughs> You're holding amazing space.
1: Yes. Thank you so much. And uh, I just, yeah, I would really like to take the opportunity to greet everyone who's listening and, you know, I'm glad you took the time out of your day to, Uh, listen to me and Lisa and you know I'm excited to have this conversation and you know to see where it leads us. So what brought us together
0: through a mutual friend was your tiny house project and also for those who don't know um, this these tiny houses are being delivered to Akwesasne and which people may also not know that there is a housing crisis there so when um, folks um, are released from prison slash rehabilitation, it can be really challenging uh, to integrate back into the community and have a place to live. So Janelle, you want to tell us how you got into this, maybe a little bit about your
1: original story into this into this work? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm I'm super excited to talk about this, and it's got quite the the narrative behind it, which you know goes back quite a few years. But you know, it, it is important to uh, show up in places where we have you know a better understanding of how and why we have certain experiences in our lives, and I think the tiny homes is definitely a reflection of um, my life experiences and then the collective experiences of other people um, getting caught up in the criminal system and then um, not having an outlet or a resource to come back out to. So with the tiny homes, uh, it's really interesting and it kind of brings me back initially to um, a prayer. So every now and then, right, we're, we're in a really tough spot and you know we're going through some hard things and maybe we buckle down and we try to search for some guidance or we try to make meaning of it all and i had said a prayer about 10 years ago that uh while i was sitting in new york state's maximum security prison for women in bedford hills just outside of new york city um i said a prayer and i asked to be able to go home and to make something of this experience and that i had Learned what I needed to learn, and I wanted to go home and help my community because I knew a lot of us ended up in this place, and nobody ever talked about it. Nobody ever said anything about it. It was so easy to end up in prison, and so difficult to try to get out of it. And and still, right? So you know, in that process of you know, you know, uh, everything pre-incarceration, that incarceration experience, and then coming home. Uh, the coming home piece taught me a lot. And so right now, uh, with my experience around violence in the community and around um, trying to in- invest and encourage the health and well-being of men as a means to prevent violence. And then also wanting to hold space and compassion for people coming home and, and holding themselves accountable and wanting to make right their lives and their actions and their choices, I think it just was a great opportunity because right now there isn't any to just start somewheres. And I have the personal experience, I have the support, I have the network. And so where this kind of landed me is ironically and probably perfectly with the tiny home project because you're absolutely right. It's our homes are where we initiate all of our cultivated values and beliefs And Mm -hmm. so, as children, right, we learn in a safe home environment what feels right and what doesn't feel right, what, you know, and we grow from that. And I think that more often than not, a lot of people who end up in the prison systems don't start out in safe homes. So, I think that giving people an opportunity to have their own little home, a safe and drug free environment. Right. Where they can have the support of other their a peer support from other people who have gone to prison, and then the support of a community that says we don't have to forget maybe necessarily the the level of harm that every individual you know may have caused, but we can sure as heck create an opportunity, and that's up to you to make that right. But if there's no adequate housing. And if people don't have choices and they come out wanting to do better and there isn't better out there for them to do it with you know how how much more can we realistically expect people to create the change that we desperately seek in them so you know so there's lots to be said about the tiny homes we could pretty much start this conversation in any direction but to give some kind of overview of it you know there's a lot of heart and a lot of emotion um moved in this and so I think it's always good to start there. intentions you know these are the intentions behind we are why I and many others you know want to be able to see something like this happen and and to be able to make it create it in its own natural growth and process so so yeah I think that the tiny homes are just another great reflection of you know what we can do with our experience and um you know, try to create the change that we need. Right. And so one of the things is when um, people
0: are released from prison rehabilitation, that the decks are kind of stacked against them right from the get-go. And being able to find a place to live, find jobs, and then have, be accepted into the community. Because once you are incarcerated, there's a stigma that, coming back into the community that you have, and then also going through the system, trying to get um, whatever resources, jobs, training, whatnot, and then not having a place to live uh, and then not having something to call your own. Uh, And then we talk a lot about recidivism and why do people end up back, continually end up back in prison and um when there's really no community or social support to lead them in any other direction so to me and that's part of what inspired me when i heard about this was just that yeah wow like you know just it makes me think of so as you know i'm an herbalist and so you know people come to me with their health concerns and you know and i come up with herbs for them and you know and sometimes you know, definitely the plants have their medicine, but also sometimes I feel like what I'm doing is um, just reminding people of their own healing capacity. And they're really, it's all self-healing. So I can't really do anything. They're really, they're doing it. And I'm just sort of like accompanying them. But sometimes it really is the small things like just making a cup of tea for yourself. Even regardless of what's in it, just that act of making a cup of tea for yourself, and that act of self care. And to me, this sounded like a similar thing in a in a bigger way, of course, but with giving somebody a home, like giving them a place on the earth.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there there are ways, right, where we want to be able to, and I think that really comes to, I guess, some lines around freedom, right? Having the freedom to take care of ourselves, how to have the freedom to sustain, you know, our personal sovereignty and and our personal means of discretion and all of that. And so I think that what's great about the tiny homes is they're constructed in a way that says, you know, yes, like you, you know, you're going to pay um, rent, but it's not going to be at this rate that you can't get it to. Right. So we're not trying to mm-hmm. set you up to fail. Uh, we're trying to set you up. OK, here's where community assistance comes in. All right. Perfect. Right. There's a resource there. Let's use it. Um, and so I think people want to feel good about working at their lives, you know, they want to be able to get right. that integrity, and I think it what what's great about it is it's backed by belief, so I think for most people, and myself included, is that what we don't, if you haven't had the experience of incarceration, it can be difficult to imagine, right, coming out of an institution and becoming institutionalized so people are expecting you to meet them where they're at but they haven't had the experience that you've had in this environment and so what happens is is we forget right about what happens in prison because we want to forget we don't want to believe that it's corrupt in there we don't want to believe that a lot of the things that get into prison aren't just up prison people's bodies. They're also very much lined in officers and, you know, all these other administrative Mm -hmm. people. And so those things never get addressed. But what happens is, is when you come out of this super violent, corrupt, manipulative, oppressive environment, and you come out, right, and you're in that transition of now you have options, now you have choices, but you still have this entity saying, I'm watching you. And if you're not this, and if you're not that, and if you're not, you know, we're gonna put you back in prison out of fear and out of threat. Um, we see that it doesn't work, right? So what, what ends up happening is that, you know, more people end up rolling back in, more harm is caused, less um, growth is happening because we're just yanking people back. And so we're expecting really high expectations of people who we've treated very lowly. And I think that that's unrealistic of us. It sets ourselves up for disappointment. It sets ourselves up for prejudice and for judgment and criticism. And we can be comfortable, right? And sitting here saying, well, this person should have done this or should have done that. And not not really understanding most of the time how people have cultivated, right? A moment of... Grave mistake and harm, and genuinely do want to hold themselves accountable, but not necessarily in a way that just uh, lessens worth or value to their life, or lessens value or worth to the other person that may have been harmed's life or, or whose life has been harmed. And so, I think there's a lot of principle and there's a real moral compass, especially when we're dealing with justice and our own internalized um, culturally cultivated view of what justice looks like in a criminal legal sense and not always in a energetic uh, spiritual sense, I guess, and as like another form to put it. So anyways, and and then they can run hand in hand and, and that's what we wanna be able to see. So like you said, when people come home and they have a safe place, you know, we wanna give people up to a year You know, to be able to say, okay, here's a tiny little home, you get to practice doing your dishes, you get to practice, you know, having your own little interdependence. And then what happens with that is now, when you bring them back into their families, or you bring them back into community, they're not floundering, and they're not as desperate to reach out for things. Because like you said, as everyone knows right now, who can't get a job or can't find one, right, the, the desperate means that we'll go to right, to take care of our families or to find food and and poverty in that sense, in an economic sense, you know, fuels a lot of violence. And so, you know, wherever you sit on that economic stature of, you know, levels, um, you know, we all have the ability to uh, take care of one another in a way that holds ourselves responsible and also holds ourselves responsible to the collective, which is the community. And we all want to be in communities where we feel as though people are contributing and, and at the same time, you know, living at a personal code with themselves to say, you know, I've made a mistake and I've learned from it, and therefore I'm gonna work even harder to make sure that others, you know, can either see a way out or see that it's possible to uh, create healing and mending in that in that way. And so I think especially with tight-knit communities such as my own. And right? We also have the the experience and the fortitude to be able to decide for ourselves what happens to our community members and what kind of support, you know, we think that is is good for them to to come home to instead of nothing at all. And right now, that's the only option is nothing at all. And and I think that that's uh, unnecessary. So I love there's a couple of things that um, that
0: really struck me about what you just said, and some of the important things I believe are the fact that we can hold two things, right? We can hold more than two things and be able to identify what's happening and have it be more than one thing at a time. which so when you've got people coming out of having been incarcerated, that, that their humanity, can be held as well as the needs of what they need in order to to step up into being accountable and being responsible um, within community. So I feel like one of the things, and you mentioned cultural, um, our cultural like indoctrination around ideas of incarceration in prison and people who have, been incarcerated, uh, where somehow there's the idea that they they deserve it, or that they sh- they sh- you know that it couldn't have been us, right? Like, and or it couldn't have been me that could have ended up in those circumstances. When one, I don't really know what the circumstances are. Two, as a human being, I could have ended up in any circumstances that anybody else was in given similar conditions, which I think you touched on a little bit with like just growing up in childhood. And, and I think to me, some of the, well, we talked about this, you know, punishment, punishment doesn't work punishment. What is punishment? And a lot of that comes through, well, well, Many places, but the one that I know most um, is the Judeo-Christian religious precepts of a God. But a God that punishes. And that that is somehow a valid means of um, accountability. um, And then rehabilitation, which obviously doesn't I mean it's clear that that doesn't work. So I really like what you're saying on that. And it reminded me also of, which maybe you want to talk about, um, I don't want to get too off from the tiny homes, but I just, one of the things that struck me with our conversation the other day was how there were, um, there's a group of men in your community. I think it was your community that sing to women who have been, assaulted or maybe they're just singing in general.
1: But do you want to feel like you want to share anything about that or yeah, absolutely. You know, I think there this this topic is huge. So it is hard to stay <laughs> I know. if there was a track to stay on. Yeah. So you know I think that you know allowing this flow and allowing us to just like you know you know, have these thoughts around violence and have these thoughts around prisons and, you know, have these thoughts about the wellness of men. And, and, and we can talk about integrity and, you know, we can talk about all these things because I think that when we, when we simplify things to a standard of family. And so when you when you inherit the title of being a daughter and you inherit the title of being a friend or a parent, or a sister, and you have all these titles as a relative. You have this this inherited obligation or connectedness to another human being. We learn a lot about the conditioning and unconditioning of love. Hmm. And so, when when in our homes, you know, at what point do we learn how to punish ourselves? Do we learn from people who have punished us physically, mentally, emotionally? And then knowing that us ourselves have the, hold the violence within us. So if you can punish someone to such an extent, you also could acknowledge that level, that same level of violence within you. Mm-hmm. And so I think when we when we try to uh, connect pieces and, and, and make it personal, because it is, it is personal with the way this uh, system is working And the way it pulls people in, you know, everyone is affected by this prison system. Mm -hmm. And when it's your son who had too much to drink and hit somebody and, you know, and unfortunately there's harm or, you know, someone else's life is altered as a result of decisions that your son made. Do you stop loving him? Do you stop wanting him to grow? Do you stop wanting him to want to live? Do you stop? Do you want him to perish? Do you want him to suffer in such a way? Of course you don't. Of course you don't. You know, and so we, we when we look at, and then if it's someone who's caused that harm to your own son, someone who maybe has taken his life unrightfully, unlawfully, and then, you know, we, we put ourselves in all these positions because our families are affected by this by this conflict, right? What do we do with this harm, with all this shame? And I think that it's really important for us to have those conversations because um, that's where a lot of truth can come in. And so you have families fighting for their family mem- members who are incarcerated because that's just love. And then you have families fighting for justice for their loved ones, because maybe they feel there wasn't enough punishment. Or there wasn't any accountability and there's no amount that can bring that person back. And so sometimes it's never enough or what is enough? What does enough look like for you? So there's all these different massive mountains to climb and explore. And I think that, um, we don't want people to suffer we don't want families to suffer because one person right so we know intergenerational trauma we've had to study those things and so the likelihood of losing one family member whether to prison or whether to a death a violent death we it's still a loss it's still a loss within the family structure so we still have kids grieving right? We still have mothers that are sad. We still have siblings that want revenge. We still have uncles that, you know, we have all of these things. And so everyone has a right to uh, talk about their experience and and build from it or be wherever they need to be with it for their own, for their own growth and um, human experience. And so this isn't about trying to take value, From anybody we're just adding more value to the yes yes so when we get back when we shift back over to the men the reason why this the part of this is so um nicely fit is because in doing the work and being a practitioner of healing and transformational justice Right. We were able through um, the Seven Dancers Coalition Mm -hmm. gain some funding from our tribe that, you know, supported a men's division and and or a men's arm right to the to the coalition, which was, you know, dedicated to women and children. And so we knew that doing the groundwork around trying to keep women and children safe, we, we usually had to keep them safe from men. And so in all the workshops and all the trainings, you know, and I hear this statistic that, you know, men are 80% the source of violence that happens. And I thought, wow, you know, I believe it could be higher. Who knows, right? Maybe, I don't know. It doesn't matter. But the fact of them, I knew that number to be about true because there were, or, right, a lot of men just weren't talking about the violence that okay. they also were receiving, right that's probably. anyways there's there's a lot of different things that can go into that but in in the occupation that I was in I knew right my own personal experience and then the the hundreds of other people who had experience of being harmed by men and it's devastating you'll drown in rape you'll drown in domestic violence you'll drown in every harm that happens in every home and and you go wow you know like what happened? What happened to dads that you know don't give up on their kids? What happened to partners that don't want to, you know see their partner bleed and cry and, and scream and beg? Like what happened to men that want to provide and work because that's what they're made uh, to, to bring forth in the community and to a family unit. And so it was really about wanting to see pride and integrity restored back into these, these uh, individuals and and trying myself in that process, not, to, uh, you know, and it's difficult because there is no other system. There is no other system. So if I'm trying to keep a woman and, and her children, a mother and her children safe from a man, there's no other option but to call the police. Right. Right. And there's no other option but to meet him with another level of violence. It would be great if there was a whole department of men that said, give him to us, right? You know, give him to us. We're not going to leave it up to all these women or all these just advocates, because I don't know about you, but in all the meetings and in all the conferences, it was chock full of women. You know, 90% of the room was always full of women, nationally, locally, everywhere. It was all I seen was women. And when I seen a handful of men in the room actually trying to address the violence that was happening for men, I, I tried my best to acknowledge them because they were also for every man. See, in our culture, when women would come together and, and delegate with one another, the men were lined all the way around them as a, as a line of protection so that nothing could interfere with that level of um, of leadership that was happening. And so for every, so now it's, it's just the opposite. There's all these women in the mid, there's hardly no men protecting them while they come together in that way and so i would say to every man for every, for for there's a hundred men that are supposed to be here protecting us so that we can decide what's good for our families and for our community and out of those hundred men you showed up you showed up And I think that says a lot about you and it says a lot about a lot of things. So when we got to this place with the coalition about bringing men, I seen young men, I seen seen men genuinely coming in, genuinely not wanting to hurt anybody, knowing that they were full of violence, knowing they were full of sexual abuse, knowing that they didn't have any other tools or concepts or whatever, and that they were just trying to maybe stay sober they were just trying to fight the greatest fight which was themselves and and I needed to see that that narrative I needed to witness that 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 struggle that they were going through because I didn't understand and because I didn't understand I had to take the time to research and sit with it and be quiet about it and then say okay you know I'm listening I hear you so we had these men. And then as the men started to build capacity in their wellness for one another, they started singing. And so our culture has this great, great um, river of songs and acknowledgement, because that's one of the ways that we were celebrated each other. We celebrated our love. We celebrated these things through song and through ceremony and dance. And so there's all these songs that are lined with medicine. And a lot of times we found that men were struggling to articulate their feelings. They were struggling to say, I feel vulnerable. I feel insecure. I feel not man enough. I feel, I feel whatever. Right. And so, but we knew that for whatever reasons, them singing and them knowing what they were singing was enough for them vocally to say, I might not know how to say, I'm sorry. But I could sing you this song that talks about the beauty of the sun rising on this day. And it's as close as I can get to telling you how much I love you, how much I acknowledge you, how truly inside this is how I feel. But through this song. So we have these songs, and so these men are singing, and there's a nice men's group, and that there's young guys coming through. There's and it's it's waking them up. They like it, they sit there, they want to listen to it, soothing, you know, and it works, it's medicine in into its way into their lives and it's wonderful to see and to hear men and in their in their deep in the deepness in their voices and even in the highness of it right just to hear them was was beautiful so we had um you know over time I you know I learned a lot from a lot of people and one of those people was another indigenous woman who expressed to me that she was able to heal from one of her assaults from and from a assault because of what the men in her family did to her right after she was um, met with violence from a man. And so her uncles and her brothers or whoever these men were in her family, they came in and they sat her down and they sat across from her. And those men expressed to her that they were there because she was harmed by a man and that they wanted her to know that she was going to give that harm back to them that it didn't belong to her to carry, that you were harmed by a man. As as men, we're going to stand before you, as men of your family that have an obligation to you. We want you to be well. We want you to get back up. We want you to find your strength. You're going to give that violence that doesn't belong to you and give it back to us. And in return, we're going to sing to you. And through singing, we're going to try and... Um, Cycle out that violence and give you the healing from men who want your well who prioritize your well being who prioritize the love that you we have for you, and we want good things right for you, and so in, in this ceremony and this energetic exchange and re- reciprocity. She was able to get back on her feet. She found her empowerment. She found all these things. And I thought, I thought that was fascinating. I thought, because I knew instantly I started filing in my head, all the the young girls with stepfather and all these women, like what, what would that have looked like for them if that was culture, if culture was, hey, us men in your family are now sexual assault advocates. We are the domestic violence advocates and we know how to show up for our women in our family, because they are of our most prized, precious uh, members. So we were able through Seven Dancers and through that Men Standing the Trees trees Backup Program that um, we were able to help a couple women and we invited them in. And these men that were there were all men that were formerly incarcerated They were all men that were in recovery. They were all men that had done their fair share of harm and mistakes and tragedy and everything else. But they were men that in that moment were working uh, to build trust, to to build respect, to build integrity. They had grown and learned from their mistakes and they were working uh, diligently at trying to stop the next young man. From following suit, you know, the next, you know, generation to not kick the dog because grandpa kicked the dog and dad kicks the dog and now the grandsons kicking the dog because that's the type of environment we learn to live in. So um, the reason why this is important is because what this also, the interconnectedness of all of this, is that. Um, it, what it creates is if we're able to catch men coming out of violent environments and transitioning them back into a community, instead of just fearing them, instead of just worrying about what next they're going to do, why not lean into them? Why not pay a little bit more attention? Why not invest? Why not really sit down and get to know them? Because oftentimes their own truth, right, is not heard or seen or validated. And so, You know, what we really want to do is um, generate more of that. And could you imagine? And I'm sure you can, Lisa. Every woman would love to sit here and fantasize. And I'm grateful that I got to witness this ceremony myself Mm -hmm. through these men who had come out of prison, come out of their own depths of harm and show up and say, "Uh, we're going to help heal now. And we actually can be better healers because we know the influence of violence and we know the karmic debt that gets paid no matter if you go to prison or not there's a karmic debt there's an energetic debt that deficit we can put ourselves in when we want to harm another individual and actually what's interesting is it's through the the darkest it's through our dark shadow that opens the door to our group, always Always. Right. And so, you know, I just want to say, like, there's great principle in that and there's great sustainability. And so why not catch these men and why not welcome them home and why not clean them off? And why not say, hey, you know, we're not here to forget, but we're here to try and create to support you in creating the change that you need to do. And so when they build a brotherhood amongst themselves, when men see other men singing to women to say, don't take all of that harm. Let us correct that because it's within us. And we have to figure out where did that violence come from? Where did we learn from little boys to to disrespect our mothers, to disrespect our sisters, to not provide, protect, procreate, you know? And yes, sometimes punish, we left our men to provide a discipline. Right. That not always men were always in charge of death and women were in charge of life and, and mm-hmm. vice versa. Right. So anyways, there's and, and what they're one in the same, really, they're one in the same. They're at different ends of the spectrum, but they're one in the same. So I know this is a really long answer to the to the question. <laughs> it, it's amazing. But yeah, it's just another means of like, let's reimagine what we can do with human life and with human error, and with human transformation, because we have access to all of it, and only mentally, if you deny yourself that, then you're denied, but you know, for the most part, I didn't understand my freedom, until it was taken away from me, and that, and that is a punishment, in a sense, right, it it was definitely a punishment, but the reality is, most people don't make it over that piece, because There's so much trauma and restriction and lack of help that they commit suicide, they commit more harm um, because people who don't have worth don't always have worth in their decisions. Absolutely. And, And we want people to have worth in their decisions in a conscious way. We want people to be conscious of themselves. And I think that's the greatest form of justice that we could ask for.
0: I have to say that when I, when you told me this story the other day, it was a breakthrough um, from personally having, you know, just, I stay on the pulse of all the things going on as as best as I can. Um, And just seeing how many calls there are for accountability um, on the interwebs and in our politics and in the overculture and and men and, um, all sorts of, um, injustices where we're asking people to be accountable and, um, rightfully so that there needs to be accountability. And yet what seems like happens often is not really accountability and it's coercion (laughs) or we're dragging people through the mud, like with cancel culture and, and call outs and things like that. And that don't really seem to be healing I mean, maybe in some ways they are um, at least we're not in denial anymore but then it's like that next step and it's like well how how does this work what ways do we have and to bring people to accountability in a way that is truly healing on both sides because a lot of times it's like nobody knows even uh, people want to be accountable I, i'm with you on that i think people want to be accountable um how and like you said there's no we don't have choices There's not system set up, but also the truth is it doesn't have to be that way. And your story elucidates that there's no reason why there can't be another way. And and this is it, or at least one way is that men are the, the male singers. It is not only healing the women, it's healing them and the future generations. Because then, then they're not, so maybe you're still seeing dad and grandpa kicking the dog, but then you're also seeing these other people doing this thing. And sometimes all you have to do is see that there's another way if you can't, if you don't see that there's another way, you know, it's just like people saying, you know, well, this is how society works. Society, this is the way, you know, this is, there's always going to be capitalism. There's always going to be poor people. There's always going to be people on the bottom, people on top. That's just the way it is. It's the way it's always been. Well, that's a lie. (laughs) But if that's all you see, if that's all you've ever been told or taught, then you believe it. And so what, What you're sharing is that, that's not. There's really no reason for it. And we can choose another way anytime we want to. Easier said than done. I realize it's a huge, tall order. But really the story, when you told me that story, it like brings me to tears. It's just, and and gives me
1: hope. Yeah. It brought me to tears too. I, you know, was trying to imagine what, what these women felt, you know, sitting in that seat, you know, actually witnessing men uh, holding themselves accountable and being loving a collective male lovingness, like. To
0: anyone. themselves too, being loving to themselves as well as others. And so I think it's also that, you know, it's like that, um, ability to, it's like what within and without, it's like, if you hate yourself, how can you heal anybody else? If you hate yourself,
1: how can you cure hate? Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I think that there did have to be absolutely a foundation of love that they built for themselves in order to give it. And I, and, and it does what it also creates, like you said, was like the, the new memory, right? So we have memory cells. And so now what you're creating is a new memory cell, that they hold in their body, and so any procreation they do after that, right? Their their children also inherit. So when when we're oh, talking yeah. about when we're talking about, I heard this thing one time that said those closest to the problem are those closest to the solution. Yeah, the reason why we want to dig even more when we when you talk about society, society is hugely um, conditioned by its form of public education. Right. Right. And so so when we're talking about, well, why don't why do people do this? And well, where do we teach them if we're not if they don't have this in their homes? Right. Where are we teaching people these things around? um intergenerational trauma, where do we teach them about their emotions, where do we teach them about integrity, grief, sadness, disappointment, um, loss, enlightenment, anger, rage, you know, and so what happens is we don't provide, we're, we're like literally ass backwards, we don't provide any of that until maybe until you've gotten to rehab and by the time you've gotten to rehab you're already looking at jail time you've already harmed your harmed yourself and everybody around you right. so we do provide all of that information until late maybe if you're lucky to grapple with it by then and by then you have mountains and mountains of resentment and all this trauma and all this harm if we gave that to people when they were younger if you knew Lisa, that you came into this world with the karmic energy of both your parents, along with your own, and knew from the very beginning that you were going to be this wounded healer, or you were going to be the rescuer, or you were going to be the the scapegoat, or you were going to be all these things functioning in your family, maybe you did know. Yeah. No. And, and then and the reality, maybe you really did know you were going to fill all these themes or you were just going to allow yourself to be whatever you needed to be. the The fact of the reality is, is anybody who believes in something greater than themselves know that this is just temporary. Yeah. And even though it's just temporary, we don't want to lose fact of the value that we're in it. And so, yes, absolutely. Yes. The more, the more space and environment, we we can't i can't change anybody it is it is not my responsibility to change people it is my responsibility to change the environment mm. that people are in so that they can they can decide for themselves hey that looks like compassion i want to be compassion that looks like sincerity i want to be sincere that looks that sounds really authentic to me and damn it i want to be authentic too and so the more we take off our masks. The more we allow other people to feel easier about taking off their masks, and so it always comes down to we are not that far from each other. And actually, I think violence, um, as much as it seems like we're we're worlds apart, we're not. We're actually super connected in it and and both both realms of that are super heavy and a lot of people live in both realms they they've harmed and they've been harmed and they harm and they've been harmed and so i think that for the most part the more we can encourage personal development and it's not about it's not about just telling people who they are right we like to label people they, you're, this is your identity that's your identity this is you and we're, we're trying to constantly but in in the reality of things is we lose track that the, of that the common ground of just being a being in a, in a world and in a realm that we've all agreed to come to to try to be better for. And, and we, we got our shot at it. You got your shot, you got time, you have a moment. And really what I like about that is um, they say, this moment is all you ever really have. It's all you ever have is the moment. And I just think that that's really profound. And I think the more I've learned to live along those universal laws and maybe theories or whatever, it's helped me a great deal, put more gratification and more emphasis of being conscious about what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and who I am. Hmm. Yes.
0: Yep. So we have is this moment. And I like what you're saying about um, compassion. I was recently listening to um, a teacher of mine, whose name is Shambhavi Sarasvati, and um, she teaches Trikashavism, and uh, which is a form of Hinduism, yoga. And um, she's talking about compassion as not being something you need to grow or cultivate or, or whatever. It's it's the field that we live in and our access to it the only reason we're not experiencing it is because of blockages so she described it as like the sun like if sun was compassion and the clouds go over the sun you don't say oh the compassion is gone right it's just being obscured and it sounds like what you're saying right now is you know, it's like you come into this world with these, basically these obstacles or these, these wounds, these obscurations, and it's in, and, and, but your, your true nature is love and compassion and authenticity. And so when we see that, that, that we can be open to that um, real healing occurs. And also, just wanted to comment back on, um, you know, the fact that you noted that I think is really important and something that I feel like I have thought so much about and, and conversed about and communicated about in terms of the prison industrial complex is that we're catching people at the end of the process, right, the healing, there's so many places between the birth of a child and them ending up incarcerated where healing, where opportunities of healing are, are available. And with our social focus and political focus so heavily on the prison system, we're missing, you know, if, for instance, just the lack of funding into social programs that could, could intervene, such as they are. I worked in human services for a brief time. And um, part of why I got out of it was because pay was so bad, but also because um, the programs aren't funded in a way that they can be effective. They're they're so poorly funded. We'd rather spend money incarcerating people, I guess, or funding the police, or, (laughs) you know, we want to, we want to, we want to spend money on on systems that deal with the problem once it's already become a crisis. So yeah, so just um, back to the, your, your great project, the tiny homes, where, so where are they being located? Um, is there like, where's the space? Is somebody donating land? Are you
1: renting land? How does that work out? Wow fortunately well before I actually answer this I just want to know, like if you can hear snoring in the background I just want to let you know that I have an old English bulldog and she <laughs> follows me around the whole house ever I cannot go in any room and and the only and that's really cute and all and I and I love that but she snores so I I, I can't tell you how many calls I've been on people are like what's that noise so anyways it's just the, it's just my dog sleeping. <laughs> And, not one uh, sleeping over here too <laughs> okay. it's not my teenagers because yeah. <laughs> um but no for the most part um yeah it, it's the tiny home piece. Is, is, I think, rooted in a lot of that, that goodness, you know, that we've been talking about. And so I think the point of it is like not to create a whole bunch of expectation, right? So there's liability, there's responsibility in this, but I think it's more irresponsible to not lean into it and right. to act like it's not needed or to act like it, it doesn't deserve some kind of um, priori- prioritized um, precedence. You know, so I just feel as though um, the tiny home piece is crucial. And it was crucial for us in my own perspective of my community that I've learned to live and engage in, and grow up in was that we really um, need something here because of our like political, um, our political frustrations, right? So we're a community that has a political line that runs right through it. And so we have these um, law enforcement agencies that, you know, uh, try to, you know, take as much authority that they possibly can. And so what what it does oftentimes is it, you know, creates a lot of um, tragedy for people because we have Ontario, we have Quebec, we have New York state. And, you know, if, if you're even up against one of those entities, you know, the amount of, of legal and, and everything else that, but to be up against, right. All of these other, and uh, just
0: the, just for the listeners who aren't aware, Aqua is, uh, the Mohawk reservation that is, um, actually divided. I don't even know how this is possible, but it's, it's true by, uh, New York state in Canada. So f-
1: for those who aren't aware of that, Right and so so when we talk about education it's interesting because we predate both those countries but right. the only perspective around it is wondering how how did we end up in this situation and it's really the situation ended up on us right and so i think that's also like the the perspective that you know we try to to put out to people is you know we predate the united the united states and or un-United States, and, you know, Canada, <laughs> so.
0: And the law enforcement, the law enforcement presence there, which is how many
1: law enforcement organizations? Right, so we, uh, we have several. I mean, I've, I've heard of, you know, numbers of like, you know, I think even as much as like 13, right, different right. Law, law enforcement agencies overseeing uh, some kind of authority, political authority, and power over our community, and and so what happens with that is that you with the intention is you would think well law enforcement makes community safer, <laughs> and and that's not necessarily so right. So we have so much law enforcement here that we actually just have still have high levels of violence and and actually just have higher levels of incarceration. And also just to be really transparent about that, that you know a lot of people profit. Right, profit off the the private private privatization of prisons and and people going into them. So if people are like, well, you know, it costs more money to house and incarcerate someone, and and people get upset that prisoners are getting quote unquote free food, and while their kids have to pay for food, right, um, uh, in schools, and and uh, you know, I've seen a lot of different other you know. Um, Perspectives, and I and I think to myself, you know, um, it's because of the privatizations and profit of corporations and people benefiting off of um, that criminal legal system. And so, you know, I just want to say that it's not all like that, but a lot of it is funded in those areas. And so, we have a super duper big history of power and control which is the, the basic wheel of abuse, and and it's basically what threads history, uh, especially the history that we've had for the past 500 years, and so, you know, when we're thinking about, well, where did it start, and when does it end, you know, um, I don't know, but, you know, I think for the most part in, in this moment, right, we can definitely keep chipping away at getting a little bit closer to what you know that greater good could look like for you know each other and for our grandchildren you know we always want better for children because Mm. we believe that they should have a better shot at things they should be better than us we want to support people to be better than what we are and i think that's always going to be the the imprint that humanity leaves on this earth or any other earth for that matter
0: Oh, yeah. So that's, um, yeah, just a prayer of hope, really. And, and action, a prayer of action. And so, yeah, we're just getting on about, I think we've been doing this about an hour. So maybe just um, some last threads here of your project. Um, people can donate. And you're relying on donations, so um, this helps uh, bring more tiny homes. And you did you have delivered one tiny home? Is that correct?
1: Yeah. So we have, um, thankfully, through through the work, you know, I had a coworker who was also formerly incarcerated, and he was working with men trying to address violence, and he he had some property that, you know, he put up for us to be able to put these tiny homes on. And so right now we're we're trying to budget out for six of them. Wow. And so for six tiny homes, right, to be on the property and we wanted like a little farm, we wanted, you know, a garden to tend to, we wanted a really, really good space for people to transition. In. And, and um, so we have, you know, we were able to fundraise and, and get the shell. So thankfully we have Amish community nearby and we were able to connect with them and Mm. built us our first tiny home shell so we still have to you know get the walls up and the insulation and do all the, Mm the renovation pieces that are inside but I think actually the house physically landing on the property just showed that it was at least possible and that it was happening and that you know wow like this is this is legit and so I think and I think I did it for myself, too, because, you know, how you have a vision and you just keep working at it and working at it. And all of a sudden it's there and you're like, oh, wow, like we did it. So we have a little bit of ways to go. You know, I'm working on some fundraising um, where I do need, you know, money to be able. But I'm really wanting this, the, the even the source of money. To be organic and to be thoughtful and intention, because it's not just about getting a you know a, a, a getting a source of funding from just anybody and then you know whatever. Like I really want community. I want really people who have been impacted and directly impacted to. This is my contribution. I might not be able to do this, but I could you know donate twenty dollars and and get you know one right. more piece of plywood for you know this place to get built. And so I, and it does, and that's really what it ends up being. And so I think that, you know, giving people an opportunity to be a part of something new and something, something creative uh, is always a great outlet. And so there is the money aspect, but I think, you know, if anything that I hold with just as much value, or if not more, Is this piece, this education piece, this just asking yourself to rethink or to dig a little bit deeper into conflict and into harm and into violence, because it's all a part of us. We are our own uh, corruption that, you know, we see out in the world at times. And so I think that always pushing for personal development and personal consciousness and then also being able to lean into justice and lean into transition and lean into violence and sexual assault. You know, they're all encompassing things, but we're all the we're all the greater practitioners to be able to say, hey, you know, we've seen enough of this, we've been engaged enough, we we've heard enough to want to muster all of the rage and tragedy that's happened and say, let's make something better of it, because. We, as human beings, always want to be more than what we are. And I think that that's important for us to follow suit and say all of our ancestors that, you know, tried to be more than what they were. You know, we, we reap the benefits of that. We're in a culture of a lot of convenience that our grandparents never experienced. And here we sit, more conflicted internally, not- more lost spiritually, more um, in a deficit of of perspective and and truth right and so when we talk about truth whether it's indigenous truth whether it's european descendant truth you know it's still truth and i think there's no greater truth than standing in the midst of a birth than standing in the midst of death because they are they are true moments where we we get to ground ourselves in in our humanness and Mm. all that it entails. And so the birthing of someone coming out of a violent environment and back into a vulnerable space such as community is a birth. And we want to make sure that we're going to start this new layer of our life off um, in a better way, in a more intentional way, in a more um, encompassed uh, way and so we, we say you do have a, a purpose and a place in this community and it's to share your mistakes because mm. you don't want to we don't want to just talk to you know if nobody if you never made a mistake and you're talking to people you know we would say how would you know How can you relate? So when we have things like Alcoholics Anonymous, right? That's successful because people can relate. There's common ground. So that's what we go to. We go to common ground and we say from one human being to another, from one woman, from one one mother to another, let's decide, right? The type of environment, the type of community we're going to raise our sons and our daughters. And and so, you know, with that, you know, I just want to say that, you know, I'm very grateful for this moment. And and for the opportunity, right, that comes from it. And so, what what else would bring us together, Lisa, than my own my own personal tragedies and 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 revelations, and along with your own. And I think as long as we continue to uh, connect through that way, it, it brings life a little bit more satisfaction and fulfillment, because now we're on the we're on another side of the spectrum. <laughs> and trust me, it's it's a lot nicer to be on this side than on the other side because wow you know i mean i know i didn't really you know lean so much into you know i am formerly incarcerated right. and um you know having my own and i was sentenced to 12 and a half years in a maximum security prison and i fought my case and i won and so you know i also just want to say that there is a lot of prejudice and we think that by shaming people it somehow makes them more human and it doesn't it yeah. just gives them more shame and it gives them more reason to not care right and so you know that's really a mentality that can be adapted to especially in a prison environment but you know we also just don't want to assume that everybody who went to prison is guilty either right. because we have vast vast amount of people who get and especially minorities you know yes. and it's not just about that like i'm not you know just you know saying that there isn't you know people in general are being incarcerated but we do have to acknowledge the fact that people of color especially yes. Get incarcerated at a lot a lot higher rates and and what's the what's the intention behind that right so so you know just to that dab, uh, dab on a few um um areas you know i just wanted to you know lean back in and and think thank the audience you know thank you for your perspective you know thank you for any questions or you know if you're able to contrib- contribute you know even more I want to say you know goa for um, you know, for helping a, an indigenous sister out who's just trying to do right by herself and her family and her community, and and with that, you know, I couldn't be more grateful. So thank you, Lisa. Thanks to the the root circle, I love it. And you know, we just continue to pour medicine into each other's cups and and drink from that. And and I think we're we're in a hell of a lot better shape than than where we could be. You know. So do I. And thank
0: you. And I feel like this has been an honor, um, to talk with you, uh, and a true joy, truly. I feel like I've been enlightened through this, our previous conversation and, and this conversation, uh, and I'm really excited to continue to follow your work and to support in any way. I feel like this could be a series. So, um, you're welcome anytime you want to come back and, um, do another podcast. I feel like We didn't even touch on so much of the depth of your wisdom, really, um, and your experience and um, very inspiring. Um, You can be contacted uh, and I'll put the links Instagram and I will put your Instagram link. Um, No, no amount is too small. Is that right? In terms of... um,
1: Donations. Yeah, that's correct. So, you know, right now I have the goal um, for 10,000, which was to fully complete the first house. Mm -hmm. And then obviously, you know, what we'll get, but I'm just trying to put one foot in front of the other. So no donation is too small and too large. And we just appreciate, you know, anything, you know, any kind of, even your, even your attention is. Yeah, Yeah. And, and folks, even if
0: you, you're not in a position to donate, you can always share, so the, even the sharing, just getting, getting this out to others, this project and Janelle's work is helpful. So with that, I thank you and just grateful for your work for all of us. I feel like this work is really for, it's, it's tremendously important to everyone on earth at this point in time in your message. So thank you, Jonelle, and yeah. until the next time.
1: Yes, I'll see you soon.